0: Well, if you're going to compete in a triathlon, then you need to prepare for every stage of this race, right? A triathlon is not just a normal race. If if all you do to prepare for a triathlon is run every day, then you're going to struggle when it comes time to swim, right? Or if you just swim, you're going to struggle when it comes time to bike. There's three stages to a triathlon. You need to be prepared for every stage. You need to train yourself for every single stage. I can guarantee you this morning that I have no plans to compete in a triathlon. May it never be, right? I don't want to do that. I hope to live a triathlon-free life. But I can guarantee this, that if you are a follower of Christ, you will experience persecution in this life. And that persecution will come in different forms and different stages, and we need to be ready for that. Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Paul also said, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's a very sweeping statement, right? All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Every disciple of Jesus is running a race, and in this race we will experience persecution. But just like in a triathlon, there are different stages in the persecution we'll face. It's going to come in different levels, and different varieties, and we need to be prepared for the challenge at every stage if we're gonna finish the race. You can open your Bibles to Matthew 10 where we'll see this fleshed out this morning. Matthew 10, our passage is Matthew 10 verses 16 through 22. We're going through our series following the fulfillment and a few weeks ago we began this section of Matthew where Jesus is sending out his disciples on mission to the towns of Israel. And several weeks ago we saw Jesus giving his disciples instructions for this mission as they were going to uh, preach the good news of the kingdom and they were going to represent him and extend his ministry in Israel at this time. And we, and we learned a lot a few weeks ago about, about how that helps us think about missions today. Well, one of the last things we saw was Jesus' instruction for those who reject them that they are to shake the dust off their feet, which was essentially to say to, to their Israelite brothers that you are as Gentiles now for rejecting the Messiah, rejecting the good news of the kingdom. And you know what? If you tell a Jewish person you're like a Gentile, that's not going to go well for you. <laughs> like that, That's going to upset them, right? And this leads into the next section of this discourse, which, which shows that if, if they're going to be faithful to this mission, persecution is going to come. To, to go on mission, to advance the gospel, is to invite persecution into your life. And so this morning's passage, we're going to see Jesus preparing the disciples for the persecution they're going to face as they go out. And before we read the text, I want to make two observations. First is that you'll see as we read this passage that what Jesus describes here does not actually happen in the gospel of Matthew. What, what he describes in these verses today is what happens in the book of Acts. So, so Jesus is preparing them for something that's in the future, that's going to come after his death and resurrection, in the age of the Holy Spirit, in the age where the gospel is going out through the church. That's what this passage is referring to. And then second, just simple, notice as we read the passage that there is an escalation throughout this passage of, of persecution. And with each escalation, there's going to be unique instruction or encouragement that Jesus gives. We'll see that as we go this morning. So the passage again is Matthew 10, verses 16 through 22. Matthew 10, 16 through 22. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men... For they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the Father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And he will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. What this passage teaches us is, it gives us three stages of persecution that we will face in advancing the gospel. Three stages of persecution that we will face as we obey Jesus' commission To go to the lost with the gospel. And every one of these stages we're going to see comes with an instruction or an encouragement. So the first stage we see is hostility. This is the first stage of persecution, hostility. Verse 16 Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So one thing we saw last week, the last time we were in Matthew, is that Jesus is a good shepherd who came to seek and to save lost sheep, right? We were harassed. We were helpless. And Jesus has come to rescue us. He came and He rescued us. And and now, as a good shepherd, He protects us. He provides for us. He leads us. He loves us. Jesus is our good shepherd, which makes this verse all the more surprising. The good shepherd is sending his sheep into the midst of wolves. What do wolves do, church? To sheep, they eat sheep, right? Wolves consume sheep. Wolves, wolves make a feast before themselves of sheep for dinner, right? Wolves destroy sheep. Why would a good shepherd send his sheep into the midst of wolves? And the answer is because that's where the lost sheep are. We are sheep who were lost, seeking sheep who still are lost, and that means we need to go where the wolves are. We need to go into the world. We need to go into hostility, and this is the reality. As we take the gospel into the world, we will be met with hostility. There will be wolves who want to consume us. This is the first stage of persecution, and it's one that I would say, maybe in a small way, but in a real way, we already do face in our country, our culture, people are hostile to followers of Christ. People malign us, people insult us, people call us hateful and backward. This is already happening, right? There's hostility to disciples of Jesus. There's hostility to followers of Christ. There's hostility to those who are on the way of righteousness. And Jesus does not seek to shelter us from these things. No, Jesus sends us into the hostility. You know, if you don't want to face hostility, if you don't want to face persecution, just don't go. I just don't go to people. You don't, don't, don't go looking for lost sheep, because, because that's where the wolves are. But no, we were lost sheep, and we understand that, that Jesus is inviting us into this mission where there are more lost sheep, and we get to see his work. Jesus, in his goodness, does not protect us from danger. In his goodness, he sends us into danger. So that we can know the joy and blessing of his saving work in the world. That's, that's so important to understand. He's not, he's not just protecting us from things that might happen to us in this world. Jesus' mission as our good shepherd is not to make our lives easy or comfortable or safe. His mission is to invite us into the joy of what he is doing. That's the kind of good shepherd he is. And So as a good shepherd, he sends us into the midst of wolves where we will face hostility now, what instruction does Jesus give to us as we enter into this hostile environment? As we go into the world, knowing there are wolves in the world, what instruction does Jesus give? He says, they'll be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Jesus loves to pile up metaphors, right? You are sheep in the midst of wolves, you'll so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. It's like four animals in that sentence, right? What is Jesus saying here? Well, let's think about the serpent first. Be wise as serpents. You know, i was thinking about this, from Genesis 3 all the way to the animated movie The Jungle Book, if you've seen that, serpents are cunning, serpents are shrewd, serpents are depicted throughout history as these deceitful, shrewd, strategic creatures, right? Probably because of Genesis 3, and the reality of that as the origin for how all cultures seem to depict serpents this way. But Jesus says, be wise as serpents. It's referring to this strategic, cunning shrewdness. But seeing that this is not a particularly righteous quality in and of itself, Jesus adds the second quality, be innocent as doves. Doves were a symbol of purity, of virtue, to the extent that even the Holy Spirit has a dove-like appearance. And so this instruction, be innocent as dove, it qualifies and it redefines this serpent-like wisdom Jesus calls for. It's it's a righteous cunningness. It's a virtuous shrewdness. It's being intentional and strategic in righteous ways and not sinful ways. To put all that together, the, the word that appears later in the New Testament to describe it is winsome. It's winsome. We are sent into the midst of wolves and we are called to be winston. The main idea this morning, I'm going to develop it as we go, but here's the first part of it. The gospel will advance through a winsome church. The gospel will advance through a winsome church. And the application for us is that we are to engage a hostile world with winsomeness. This is the way the Apostle Paul advanced the gospel. He didn't want to give unnecessary offense to a hostile world. Right? And so he said, I'm going to become all things to all people that by all means I might win some. So even though circumcision wasn't required under the new covenant, poor Timothy, right? But he circumcised Timothy for the advancement of the gospel, to not give offense to the Jews. And then when he went to Athens, he had a completely different approach. He approached them by referring to the unknown God and, and come to them in a totally different way. Paul was strategic and faithful and varied and winsome as he advanced the gospel in a hostile world. He he, he understood people. He understood his context. He understood what would invite hostility and and what would would open doors for more conversation. Think about, in our day, two different approaches to evangelism. One person stands on a busy street corner with a megaphone calling out to those who pass by, judgment is coming, repent and believe the gospel that's the gospel, that's true, God can use that, but the other person invites their neighbor over for dinner, and they get to know them, and they invite them to church, and they ask how they can be praying for them, and they follow up, and they're intentional to share about their faith, and to ask what the other person thinks about those things, and, and they may say, do you want to study a book of the Bible with me, and, and, and God can use either of these people, and he does, Well, let me just ask you, which of them better fits the description of wise as serpents and innocent as doves? The second one does, right? It's winsome. It's it's understanding that there's hostility in the world, and and we need to winsomely, strategically, purposefully, righteously, faithfully, lovingly bring the gospel to lost sheep in a hostile world. Church, we are sheep who are lost, seeking out sheep who are lost still in the midst of wolves. And so we can't sit back and do nothing. Again, that that would keep us from the hostility, but we know we can't do that if we're followers. We cannot sit back and do nothing. We also don't want to be foolish and just invite this hostility on ourselves. No, we want to be winsome. We want to be righteous and strategic in how we advance the gospel. Let's seek to advance the gospel with winsomeness in a hostile world. The hostility that we'll experience, that's the first stage of persecution, but at some point it will give way to the second stage of persecution. We see this in verse 17. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. You'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. So the first stage is hostility. The second stage is suffering. second stage is suffering. Not that Hostility is not a form of suffering, but here we're talking about more of a sanctioned suffering. More, 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 of, more of a physical suffering, more of a they're doing something to me sort of suffering. The first thing I want us to notice about this verse here is that this verse does describe exactly what we see in the book of Acts. right? This, this, this is Acts. This is the, the disciples being brought into synagogues and flogged. And then, and then being handed over to governors and kings to, to bear witness in their trial. This, this is what we see in the book of Acts. Jesus preparing his disciples for what is coming. Imagine how shocking this must have been to these Jewish disciples who were following this Jewish rabbi who taught from the Jewish scriptures that he was the Jewish Messiah. Jesus says, the Jews are going to flog you. He says, they're going to arrest you. They're going to deliver you over. He's preparing them for the fact that that the Jewish people as a whole would reject him. That they would suffer not only at the hands of Gentiles, but first at the hands of their own people. And yet this also speaks to us today. The persecution that's depicted here escalates from a general hostility to a more sanctioned form of suffering. It's in courtrooms, it's before authorities. These are legal verdicts being handed down against the disciples. In our own day and age, we might not find ourselves being flogged in Jewish synagogues, but listen, we might find ourselves being fined. We might find ourselves being fired. We might find ourselves being sued. At some point, we might find ourselves even being put in jail. In Australia, they recently passed a law that pastors are not allowed to counsel anybody about orientation. It is a criminal offense to counsel someone about those things. That's a Western culture, that's a a Christian background culture. And we see this this first stage of hostility breaking into this second stage of suffering, this second stage where where it's not just that they're maligning me, but now they're, they're trying to hurt me. That's coming. Jesus says it's coming. It's gonna move from hostility to actual suffering. And yet, here we need to notice something amazing. Jesus says that when this happens, it happens to bear witness before them. To bear witness before them. He's not referring simply to persecutors calling us to defend ourselves in court. He's referring to his sovereign plan through the persecution we encounter to bear witness to the gospel. Jesus has a purpose for persecution and that purpose is that we would bear witness to him in it. That when the persecution comes, he's opening a door to declare the good news. And here we can add another element to that main idea. The gospel will advance through a winsome, suffering church. The gospel will advance through a winsome and suffering church. Suffering is part of his plan for gospel advancement. It will open doors to bear witness to the gospel when you are fired, when you are sued. These are opportunities to make the gospel known to people. And again, with this next stage of persecution, Jesus gives an instruction and he makes a promise to us. He says, when they deliver you over, when this is happening, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. This is one of those verses that has been regularly mishandled and misapplied, right? This is not a general statement that we never need to prepare ourselves for anything. You know, I'm not going to work on my sermon. The the Holy Spirit will give me the words to say in the moment. That's, That's not what it's talking about, right? No, this is a very specific promise for the persecuted church. The Spirit of the Father, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit whom Jesus would pour out on his disciples after his ascension, the Spirit who would dwell in the disciples, would empower them for witness in the midst of suffering. This is a promise for the persecuted church that when this is happening, the Holy Spirit will help you. He will give you the words. He will strengthen you for your witness. And this promise still applies today. We do not need to be anxious as we consider the prospect of bearing witness in our suffering. We don't need to worry how we're going to do in that moment. Why? Well, it's not because we're confident in ourselves. right? I'm not confident in myself that I would give good witness. No, he says because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of your Father, the Spirit who dwells in you will help you. He will speak through you. And so, church, if we're thinking about preparing for this stage of persecution, which, by and large, is not here yet. Maybe here and there we, will, we can see a headline where maybe this is beginning to happen a little bit, but by and large, this is coming, it's not here yet, and yet we want to be prepared for when it comes. How do you prepare for this kind of persecution? And we have to go deep here. We have to say that we prepare by cultivating communion with the Holy Spirit. We prepare by cultivating our fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Because the promise is the help of the Spirit, the most important thing we can do now to prepare for this is to pursue fellowship with the Spirit. And so, the New Testament teaches that every single believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. The moment you come to faith in Jesus, you are given the Spirit. So the spirit is not a a reality that comes later after conversion. The spirit is the gift of God to all believers. Indwells every one of us. And yet the New Testament also says, "Be filled with the Spirit," "Keep in step with the Spirit," "Look for men who are filled with the Spirit." And so, so there's this reality that we're all indwelt by the Spirit, but we are not all walking in step with the Spirit. We are not all filled with the Spirit equally. We are not. We are not all. And, and we go up. Uh, up and down on that, right? Maybe some weeks of your life, you are, you are more in step with the Spirit than others. And so this, this is a dynamic reality, right? We, we need to pursue communion with the Spirit. We need to pr- pursue the Spirit's uh, dominating influence in our hearts and lives. He's in us. We want Him to control us. We want Him to fill us. We want, we want to be walking in step with Him. And that's the kind of Spirit fellowship that we need to prepare for persecution. So how do we do that, church? How do you pursue communion with the Holy Spirit? First, you ask your Father, who loves to give good gifts to his children, for the gift of the Spirit's filling in your heart. That's what Jesus said, right? He said, he said that our Father loves to give good things, and, and, and so he will, when we ask for the Spirit, he said that we we'll ask for the Spirit, he will give you the Spirit. So ask your Father, pray, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. God, control me. God, let me have communion with your Holy Spirit. Then, after you pray, what do you do? You immerse yourselves in the scriptures that the Spirit has inspired. The Spirit is the one that wrote the scriptures through men, and so we immerse ourselves in the scriptures. This is the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit, so we immerse ourselves in His Word that He's inspired We gather often with the community of believers who are likewise indwelt by the Spirit. We come here together, and and, and the Spirit fills us in a unique way in worship and fellowship. We we, we experience the Spirit together. We gather regularly, and we listen to the Spirit as He guides us day in and day out to love God and love our neighbors. We don't grieve Him by refusing to acknowledge His guidance, but we listen to Him, and we obey Him in righteousness and love. These are all ways that we cultivate communion with the Spirit, and we need that communion for when this persecution comes. The more we learn to rely on and walk in step with the Spirit, the better prepared we will be to receive His help when persecution comes. So church, first, let's advance the gospel with winsomeness. Second, let's advance the gospel through suffering by the help of the Spirit. These two stages of hostility and then suffering lead to a third and final stage, death. Look at verses 21 and 22. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Hostility, suffering, and then death. Jesus says that his disciples will be put to death by those closest to them. Your brother, your sister, your parent, your child. These are the most intimate human relationships that we have. These are the ones who are doing this. Even the safest human relationships will not be safe. He also says that we'll be put to death in all places. There aren't some people groups or some cultures who will love Jesus' disciples and some will hate them. He says, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. This is going to happen everywhere. Wherever the church goes, hatred is going to follow. The reason all will hate Jesus' followers and even the closest relations we have will turn against us is because all people hate God. All people love their sin. It will ultimately do anything to suppress the truth of the gospel, even put disciples to death. Being put to death for Christ is the final stage of persecution. And while this seems far off in our society today, we should bear in mind three things. First, we should bear in mind that Christians have been put to death throughout church history. This is our heritage. Throughout church history, in all places, believers have been put to death for standing for their faith. Second thing we should bear in mind is that Christians are being put to death today all over the world. This is not just something that has happened. This is happening. It is happening today. Every single year, we gather here on Resurrection Sunday and celebrate Resurrection. And and sure enough, you go home and you read a headline of a church who gathered for Easter and was bombed. That happens every single year. Christians are being put to death today for the gospel. It has happened. It is happening. And we can know that someday, Christians will be put to death here too. Someday. Maybe in 200 years, maybe in 10 years, someday Christians will be put to death here too. This is the final stage of persecution, hostility to suffering to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But again, with this sobering reality that following Christ and advancing the gospel may cost us our lives, Jesus gives this promise, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures to the end will be saved. The end here stands for death. The one who endures to death, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Endures means that we do not turn back from our confession of faith in order to save our physical lives. We don't shrink back. We don't don't save our skin by denying Jesus. No, we endure in faith to the point of death and the promise is that we will be saved. It's a promise that those who die will live again and will live forever in the kingdom of God. Jesus says it this way to the churches in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Church, we can add one final element now to the main idea this morning. The gospel will advance through a winsome, suffering, dying church. The gospel will advance through a winsome, suffering, dying church. The early church father, Tertullian, famously said, The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And we see in this text that this is not just some coincidence, this is the plan of God. Jesus sends us out into the midst of wolves, where we will meet hostility, suffering, and finally death. And yet, in that moment of death, we can give our most powerful witness to the hope we have in Christ. Why do those believers even gather on Easter Sunday, when they know they could die? Because they believe the gospel. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a message that has everything to do with death. According to the Bible, death entered into the world because of our sin. Death represents the loss of every good gift of God because of our sin against Him. Death is loss. Death is the loss of all that God has given in creation. And yet... In God's love and grace, he sent his son into the world to die for our sin. And in dying for our sin, to defeat death, he died as our sin bearer on the cross. And because he had no sin to die for, he rose again in victory over death. And now there's this incredible reversal that happens from Genesis 3 to Philippians 1. Before death was lost, now Paul says death is gain. Death is gain for the Christian. Before, death represented the loss of everything good. But in Christ, death represents the gain of everything good. In Christ, death is the final door to eternal life in the kingdom and presence of God. Through death, we gain everything in Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. Jesus died for our sins. He undid the sin of death. He he undid the penalty we deserve. And now what was once... The ultimate loss is the ultimate gain. And so in that moment where you are being put to death, what more powerful witness can there be to this this gospel than to lay down your life for Christ's sake? This message of death's defeat by the crucified and resurrected Son of God is proclaimed in those who say death is gain. The gospel advances through death because in death we proclaim the hope of life that we have in Jesus Christ. The gospel advances through a winsome, suffering, dying church. And this is exactly the pattern of how the gospel happens in Jesus. The gospel comes to us through a dying Savior, a suffering Savior. And it advances the same way, church. So church, we should be prepared for death, even if we may not be called in our time and place to lay down our lives. Your children might. Your children's children might. We need to hear this. We should be prepared for death. And the way to prepare for death is by considering Christ. Prepare for death by considering Christ. I want to turn your attention to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is written to a church that we could say was in the second stage of persecution. For kind of following this outline today, they're in the second stage. They, they, they were suffering. We know from the book that their property was being plundered. We know that some of them were being put in jail. And because of their suffering, some of them were being tempted to turn back from the faith. Some of them were tempted not to endure the end. And the whole book is a call to these persecuted believers to persevere through persecution, not to turn back because the gospel is true and Jesus is better. In Hebrews 12, chapter 4, the author says this to that church. He says, you've not yet resisted sin to the point of shedding your blood. And what he's saying there is the persecution is going to get worse. You've not, you've not yet entered into that third stage. No one's being called to lay down their lives yet. And yet they're already turning back. They're already weary and faint-hearted. They already are, are bowing out under the pressure of persecution. So the author is saying, it's going to get worse, not better. But I want you to persevere through this because salvation is at the end. And so what does the author of Hebrews say? He says, we must look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God the Father, consider him who endured such hostility from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's how we do not turn back. That's how we are prepared. We consider Christ. Church, what will keep you from turning back when things get harder? What will keep you from turning back when persecution comes? What will keep you from growing weary and faint-hearted and saying, I'm not going to do this anymore. It's not worth it. Consider Christ who endured such hostility from sinful men. Consider the hostility that he endured to save you. Consider that Jesus came and he suffered. He was flogged. He was mocked. He was mistreated, He was crucified, and He took on the wrath of God for you. Consider the suffering and death of Christ, and then consider the joy of heaven that Jesus purchased for us. He did it for the joy set before Him, and and in that joy was the joy of, of seeing you come to experience the Father with Him, the joy of bringing you into His kingdom. The joy of heaven is before you, the joy of eternal life is before you. Just as it was before Christ, and it was that joy, that that end, the one who endures to the end will be saved, that led Jesus to continue. Consider Christ so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Church, the gospel will advance through a winsome, suffering, and dying church. For Christ's sake. He says that two times as fast. For my sake. This is for my sake. For Christ's sake. For the joy that is set before us in Him. I want to call you today to obey His commission. This is what happens when we advance the gospel. This is what happens when we go out into the midst of wolves. If you want to avoid it, stay back. But I call you this morning, don't do that. Obey His commission Endure the hostility for the joy that is set before you in Christ. Let's obey his call as he sends us, church, into the midst of wolves. Let's rely on his Holy Spirit. Let's consider the joy that he has set before us.